Good morning, Lakeview. Good to see you this morning. Don't worry, John is coming up. You're not getting me. I'm just up here to introduce him, so you're getting the good stuff. Um, I'm happy to introduce uh, John Hand, who I met through the Jesus Collective when I took a class this fall called, it was like, like following Jesus in a polar. It was almost the same title that we have for this sermon series, and I thought, oh, that might be helpful for me to take. Um, and so I met John taking that class. It was a, a great class uh, full of like amazing content, but also amazing relationships. And one of the relationships I forged was with John um, online. And yesterday was the first time I got to meet him in person, so that was great. Uh, we don't get to do that often these days in COVID, right? So that was quite a treat. Uh, John heads up the Jesus Collective, which is a relational network of church leaders and churches that reconsider what it means to lead out of Jesus as the center, putting Jesus as the center. And John has done tons of thinking about this, so he is a great person to have here, but he's also lived this out, as you're going to hear through his sermons. So could you give John a very warm welcome? Thank you. Great, thank you. Good morning. It is really good to be here. We're, uh, Amy, my wife is with me, and we're from Ontario. We live in Ontario, actually. And so uh, it's just good to be here. Thank you for dialing up the warm weather while we're here. This, is, this has been great. In fact, it's colder in Ontario right now by like 10 or 12 degrees than it is here. So balmy, warm Saskatoon, who would have thought? Um, I am excited about this conversation because I think it's one of the most timely conversations that we can be having uh, these days in our COVID or COVID-affected world that we're living in. And I think every once in a while, we find within the Christian story, the unfolding Christian story, the history of our faith for the last 2,000 years, we find that there's points in our history and in the history of the world where the message of Jesus intersects with an ache or a need in our time, and it just seems to be more relevant. We know that Jesus is always relevant, but to be more obviously relevant in, in a, a, say, a cultural moment. And I think this is where we find ourselves now, and I think uh, we could look back a little bit and we could see examples of this. So we could see like 1940s India where you have Gandhi who's leading a nonviolent revolution. You could see the civil rights movement inspired by Martin Luther King who found Jesus as his inspiration and imagination for loving your enemies in nonviolent ways. I think you could look at the abolition movement and workers' rights in 19th century England inspired again by Jesus. And even in like your backyard here in Saskatoon, just with universal healthcare and Tommy Douglas, that was inspired by Jesus. And so there's this moments in time where our Christian resources, where Jesus is relevant and needed and necessary to meet an ache in our world in a unique way. And I think we're here in one of those places again. So I have a question. In your, as you like see the world, what do you think? Like, what do you think are some of the ways that Jesus is particularly relevant these days to the, say, the, the aches or the needs that we see 
in our broader culture. I'd be curious what you think. I, I don't know how things are unfolding here in uh, Saskatchewan, but in Ontario, there's a deep need for Jesus these days in this area of polarization. And so uh, we're going to do a little poll where I would love to kind of get a sense from you of where are some of the aspects of, say, division or polarity or polarization that you're seeing in, in your world, in the conversations at work, what you're seeing on the news, where are you seeing polarity? What are some of the most polarizing topics and conversations happening in our day? So we're going to um, ask you to get your devices out, your phones out, and we're going to do uh, an online poll together where you get to kind of chip in what, what you think are maybe some of the most polarizing aspects of our time. Here we go. Um, so you can see, go to menti.com, and then you're going to put in this code, and that will bring up a poll that you can participate in. And this poll has a couple different um, topics that might be polarizing in our day and time. And I would just love to learn from you, what do you think are some of the most polarizing topics happening in conversation, maybe dividing families. Maybe you're experiencing some of this even in your extended families uh, in this cultural moment where we find ourselves. All right. Okay, here we go. So we've got vaccine passports, pandemic protocols, left and right politics, uh, theology, uh, human sexuality, Look at that. Seems like vaccine, COVID. <laughs> Can we say COVID wins again? Can we say that? Right? That's what it looks like. Vaccine passports, pandemic protocols, and politics. Yeah, thank you. This is really great. You can see that um, the world we live in is not as simple as everybody just sees the world in the same way. No longer. COVID has given us a, I don't know if it's a, a gift, if we think the truth is a gift, but COVID, COVID has definitely given us a, a sense of awakening as to how divided we actually are these days. Um, so like I said, we live in Ontario. I'm seeing in Ontario politics, lots of division. In this last election, it was really bad. There, there was some really nasty, angry stuff happening in Ontario, maybe even federally. Um, uh, we're from the States. We're Americans. So we, we moved here to Canada six and a half years ago. Um, Canada has some polarization, but it's nothing compared to what's happening in the States. It's like sad and kind of comical and sad uh, what's unfolding? Uh, in the States, you know, my, where I come from, my people, like, we can't even talk to each other. We're losing the ability to talk to each other about our differences. Uh, we're so divided along political and ideological lines. And, and in fact, we're seeing, like, some would say, predictive, that there's a civil war coming. Um, we're at least in a cold civil war right now because of how divided it is. And the internet 
and the algorithms around social media and the clickbait and the fake news and the 24-7 news channels, like all of that is contributing to this crazy polarization that we're, we're experiencing. And I just want to say this is an important topic because I believe that Jesus, if we put him at the center, I believe that he wants to transform polarization into peace. And he wants to do that by transforming you and transforming me. And I believe in this moment, if we are open to the good news, I believe that we have a gift for our broader culture that like is needed at this time. And I believe we, as for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, this is our moment. This is our offering to the world is that we would be people who are transformed uh, so that we can bring transformation and healing to a divided world, okay? So we're gonna dive into Ephesians chapter two today if you have an app or one of those books that we used to turn pages in called a Bible, like a, a real you know, book. If you have one of those or if you have an app or if you, whatever you have, you wanna pull up this passage. But uh, in some ways we think that polarization is so new and so you know, uh, obvious since, of, since COVID, but the reality is we've been dealing with polarization for a long time. And in fact, in this passage in the first century, they were dealing with polarization. And there is these new communities of Jesus. Jesus had resurrected and gone back to bodily be with the Father in heaven. And these new, thriving little home churches and communities of Jesus were popping up all over the place. And they were thriving, but they were fragile. And they were fragile because polarization had in this, these communities specifically, they had taken root. And people were dividing themselves into camps and groups. And there was a division along the lines of those who were converted to Jesus out of the Jewish faith, who had been steeped in the Jewish traditions, and those who were Gentiles, those who were converted to Jesus with no Jewish background, having maybe pagan religious backgrounds. And these two groups of religious insiders and religious outsiders could not be more polarized or different than they were. And these Gentiles were kind of looked down on by the Jewish Christians because the Gentiles were rough around the edges. They had a sordid past. They were greedy. They had a sexual history. They were just kind of known as those people. You know, like these people didn't grow up in your grandma's church, you know? They, they were messy. And so in this growing polarity, this group of people is being addressed by Paul, who's a first century leader of the Jesus movement. He's writing a letter. He's kind of a bishop of these home churches. They're in the city of Ephesus, which is now in modern day Turkey. And he's writing to them and he's saying, guys, we have to figure this out. Jesus is Lord. We have to figure this out. So let's read this. Could you stand with me as we read? So I'll read this for us as you stand. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves, you can read it this way, the circumcised, okay? 
uh, which is done in the body by human hands. Skip verse 12, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Amen. You can be seated. So this, this passage, there's, there's so much here that's so good. And, uh, and I wish I had an hour for us to unpack this. But Allison said, I have 35 minutes. And she said she's coming to drag me off the stage if I go past that. All right? So she's watching. Um, you're going to get the Coles Notes version today, all right? So you can see in this passage, there's this reference of those who are called the circumcision. And this was a title that the Jewish Christians had used of themselves. We are the circumcision. And they looked at others who were not the circumcision and were labeling them as not the circumcision. And this term was bragging rights for them. It was, it was something that gave them this kind of mm, internal sense of importance, you know? Um, so if you're, if you're new to faith and you're new to church or you're watching and you're new to faith and you're new to church and you, you are of the male gender and you hear this talk of circumcision and you find yourself getting uncomfortable, I just want to say that this is not part of our practice anymore, okay? So you can relax. Um, this was a metaphor. It was a metaphor for something much deeper, a spiritual sign of commitment, of God's commitment and covenant with the Jewish people. And all it was, and Paul's saying, all this is, is it's a metaphor. It's something that you was done just by humans. It's not something that gives them a sense of greater worth or importance or mojo or value or holiness or anything. It's just a metaphor. And it had its place. But, but that's it. And Paul's implying that these religious insiders, they were making this a, a, an identity marker. They were making this something about them, something about their own heart, their own worth, their own value. And what he's saying is, if you're, guys, if you're putting your sense of worth and value in this act, then you're, you have a misplaced identity. And, and this is, I think, one of the biggest contributors to polarization is a, a misplaced identity that people were putting their ultimate sense of worth, value, security, meaning, and purpose in something other than Jesus. This is a huge contributor to polarization because there's something about the human heart that looks for a little perch to sit on that we're just not grossly higher, but just a little bit higher than those people. Just a little, our cause is just a little bit more, you know, righteous than, than those people. The, the human heart is always longing for like a, a little bit of a leg up to help itself feel just a little bit, you know, more righteous than, than them. That we're, we're kind of looking for the, 
the righteous cause, the moral high ground, the, the history will be on our side when this all ends. When this blows over, history will be on our side. And self-righteousness, it's not just a problem with church types like you and me. It's a problem with all types everywhere. It's all over the place. And Paul's saying, in this community of Ephesus, there's this phenomena of people trying to find their value, their worth, their identity in what they believe and how they behave and the decisions that they make and what they can do and what they don't do and what we have and what we don't have and what other people think of us. And the list goes on and on. As humans, we, like, we have no end to those things that we look to to help us feel just a little bit more important and righteous apart from Jesus. And this is what the human heart does, especially in times of uncertainty and polarization. Can we agree? This is what happens. And so there's a gentleman I'd like to tell you about. His name was Paul Hebert. He was brilliant. He was uh, the son of missionaries. He was raised in India. He was from North America. Uh, he, he grew up watching his parents share the gospel in India. He um, was really smart. He became a, a pastor and a sociologist, and he became a theologian. That all makes sense to me. And a mathematician. That doesn't make sense to me. This guy was a pastor. Most pastors are pastors and not CPAs because they cannot do math at all. Like, like if someone said to me, John, we need you to do simple math in your head or, or walk the plank, I would be swimming with the fishes. I cannot do math. This guy could, and he blows my mind. And so he comes up with this paradigm based on mathematics that um, looks at numbers and how numbers are similar and how you classify numbers together. And then he takes this and he applies it to sociological group identity, and he calls it a bounded set. And in this bounded set, he says that groups of people form their sense of identity and group cohesion around sameness and similarity and around agreement. So shared ideas, shared beliefs, shared practices, shared, shared forms of acceptance that form a group's sense of identity and um, bonding together. So you hear we have this circle. There's clearly those who are in the circle and there's those who are outside the circle. And what makes you a part of the in-group as opposed to the out-group? Well, he says human nature is that those on the in-group share the same beliefs or geography or family ties or nationality or ethnicity. It could be a lot of different things that those who are inside the circle share together in common that makes them them, that gives them identity and distinction from those who are outside the circle, sitting outside. And what these religious insiders in the, in the passage that we're talking about, what was one of the markers for them that distinguished them as being insiders? Could you help me? What would it be? Thank you. That's right. We are circumcised. You are not, right? And that formed their sense of group, group cohesion, group identity. So we track in with this. 
This is going somewhere. So in verse 15, Paul says, Jesus has come not to blow the laws up and these regulations and all this, but to just put them in their place. Like, they're not something that make you more valuable, more acceptable. They're just there to point you to the source, which is God himself, as we know in Jesus. And so over time, people like me, uh, grew up in, who grew up in churches like I grew up in, we did this. We had our little things that characterized us. So I grew up in a church where in the States, we all voted Republican. We didn't drink alcohol. We didn't watch R-rated movies. We were mostly white. We were, there was things that we didn't do. There was things that they did. And just because you have shared ideas and beliefs doesn't mean that you think you're self-righteous and better, but we did. <laughs> like what we did growing up, this is what characterized uh, our sense of group identity. And you can think of this today that there's this same phenomena happening in group identity. And it's not just in the church, it's all around us. And so we think about sameness and relational unity being formed around shared views on everything we saw on the screen. Politics, climate change, racial justice, COVID protocols, masks advocates, anti-mask advocates, vaccine advocates, vaccine um, hesitant. There's all kinds of range of these things that people are clustering and clumping together these days around sameness, around these shared agreements. And then this dynamic gets even darker because even when we form a sense of cohesion around sameness and agreement, there's a shadow side even darker, which is we'll bond together if we have a common enemy. So if we can all agree that they are the problem they are the threat. They're what's wrong. And we're what's right. That forms an even darker bonding. And this is happening. How do I know this? Just ask Twitter. Right? So this bounded set impulse lurks in the human heart. And if we're not paying attention and if we're not connected to Jesus, then it will grow in us as well. And I want to confess that it has grown in me. My wife and I have been married for 23 years. We're from the States. We've been in Canada for six and a half years. We've been in Canada for the whole pandemic, except for this past July. First time going back to the States. Two-week vacation. First time seeing family since the beginning of COVID. We are excited. We drive over to our family in New England. We arrive at our families uh, where we're staying and there in the parking lot of the house that we're staying at is this. This is uh, the back of a vehicle from one of our family members. And on the vehicle it says, Donald Trump won the election. Pro-God, pro-guns, pro-life. Uh, Biden is the most anti-God president. This is what's on, on, the, on the car. How do you think I reacted? <laughs> I voted in the last U.S. election. I did not vote for Donald Trump. Um, 
I don't think that Biden is the most anti-God president ever selected, nor do I think he's a savior. I think he's a politician. I don't think equating God and guns is ever a good idea. I don't think that Trump won a stolen election. I don't think that the insurrection at the Capitol was just peaceful. I don't think that mixing political power and God is ever a good idea for Christian witness, ever, uh, especially if we're going to speak truth to power. Um, I think Christian nationalism is idolatry. Um, I think it's rendering to Caesars what is God's, okay? So, like, cards on the table. How do you think I responded when I saw my, my family member's car? <laughs> Let's just say it was not my finest hour, okay? 23 years ago, when I married into this family, this person and I were tight. We both had a heart for ministry. We both deeply loved Jesus. We would pray together. We would talk theology. We would talk ministry. But as time and circumstances evolved... I became less conservative, he became more conservative, politically and theologically. Both of us, trying to pursue faith in Jesus, trying to pursue truth, began to go like this. This actually caused rift in our relationship. We started losing the connection that we once had, and it actually caused brokenness in our relationship. And as I showed up and saw this, I thought to myself, I cannot believe I cannot believe this is in my family. I cannot believe I have to be around this for two weeks. I took a picture of it. I confidentially sent it to a friend of mine with an eye roll emoji, and I said, pray for me. And because of the polarization in our world and the polarization in my heart, it was reflecting how the world does unity. How does the world do unity? It does unity by uniformity and by conformity and by agreement. And I'm here to say Jesus doesn't do unity that way. In fact, he kind of blows that up. And this is the genius of Jesus. And so Jesus, uh, he wants to reorient us. He wants to save us from ourselves. He wants to save us from finding connection and harmony and unity through sameness and conformity and uniformity. Can I get an amen? That's good. Thank you. For those of you who didn't say amen, I recognize we're in Saskatchewan. Can I have a thoughtful, reflective head nod? Thank you. Thank you. I see that head nod. Thank you. It's very good. Thank you. Jesus wants to heal us. He wants to restore us. And then he wants to unleash us on a divided world to show that there's a better way. Sign me up. But there's a price. There's a cost. So Jesus, or Paul, is saying of Christ, in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He who has brought the two groups and, and made us one, he's destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the laws with its commands and regulations. Oh man, this is good news. Paul is not saying that religious beliefs are bad, right? Like, 
they need to be eliminated. That, that was John Lennon. That's not Paul. Paul is saying that getting our self-righteousness, getting our validation from anything other than Jesus will guarantee polarization. It's a guarantee. And our hearts will not be transformed by Jesus if that's what's happening to us. And so polarization for you and me, and for me when I showed up in that parking lot, polarization is just an invitation for Jesus to transform our hearts by putting him back at the center. And so verse 14 says that Jesus is like a, he's like a wrecking ball. He's here to break down walls. He's here to make peace. He's in the unification business, and he wants to do it in me and in you, but he's got to remove some boundaries first. He's got to do it in us so that we'll put him at the center. So a friend of mine, here's how this could work. A friend of mine in Jesus Collective, a pastor, he, he gave me this illustration, and it's beautiful. He said, um, do we have any, like, watching online or in the room, any physics majors? Any, uh, say, astrophysicists? kicking around, uh, astronomers, okay, astrologers, any astrologers? Okay, well, if we had those friends in the room, they might tell us that in a solar system, if you want to increase the, say, the gravitational pull of the planets towards each other, towards the sun, then you have to increase the size of the sun. If you increase the size of the sun, you increase the gravity of the planet's towards the sun. It pulls them in towards, towards the sun. And so they tell me that um, this dynamic in the solar system could have actually some parallels for how it is that if we put Jesus at the center and if we make him bigger, it actually pulls us towards each other in our differences without us changing what we actually believe. We might change how we hold it. We might change how we see each other. Because unity doesn't come from uniformity and agreement. It comes from Jesus. So let's say I'm Jupiter and you're Saturn. I'm, I'm over, where's Jupiter? I'm over here. I'm in Jupiter. And you're over there. You're in Saturn. So that's, Allison is over there. She's Saturn, okay? So let's say we don't agree on, you name it. Give me a topic. Thank you. COVID vaccines. We don't agree on COVID vaccines. Let's say I'm somebody who, I, I don't believe that we should force these on people. And she's like, hello, we're going to care for the vulnerable. And I'm like, yeah, but it's about freedom. And so it's complicated in the science. And she's like, no, but the science. And we're like showing articles to each other that show our points of view. And we are polarized. So if that's the case and that's what's happening, then if we both have a commitment to make Jesus bigger, not to agree, but to make Jesus bigger, because the question is not, how do I convince her to believe like I do? That's not the question. The question is not even, how can we agree to disagree? We're not even talking about tolerance here. We're not talking about that. The question is, how can we disagree while we are both at the same time making Jesus bigger? Because if Jesus is the sun in the solar system and we're making Jesus bigger, 
then something happens. We end up, I over there and she over here, we end up moving together towards each other as we're moving closer towards Jesus because we're both making him bigger. And the gravity of Jesus is pulling us towards him and towards each other. Are you tracking? Jesus, if Jesus is greater than my commitment to the issues that divide, that polarize, then we have to listen to each other. We have to talk about it. And under the Holy Spirit's guidance, we have to find our way forward with him, with him at the center. And this is how transformation happens. And if you're tracking, I'd love to see a thoughtfully reflective head nod. Okay. So we're going to fast forward. Paul Hebert comes up with a, another paradigm for how to talk about differences and polarity. And he calls it a centered set. He's meditating on the stories of Jesus, and he's realizing in the stories of Jesus, Jesus himself is doing this. He's breaking down the barriers and the lines, and he's actually inviting people to put him at the center and to journey with him. What did Jesus say most often? Follow me. He didn't say, build a boundary of belief around yourself. He said, follow me. And so that's what Paul Hebert in his mind comes up with this. He says that Diversity and unity can coexist if we're pursuing the same direction, if we're both moving in the same direction. It's not a static, bounded set of beliefs and practices that either you're in or you're out. It's a matter of which way are you going? Which direction are you heading? And are we heading in the direction of Jesus? Are we moving towards the center or are we moving away from the center? If Jesus is at the center, are we moving towards Jesus or are we moving away from Jesus? And so in a bounded set, what, what, we're in a centered set, what forms group identity? Where's the lines? How do you know if you're in the group or you're out? You know because you are moving towards the center. So I can be... Let's see the fellow on the far top right. I can be further away and be heading towards the center. And somebody closer, right underneath the E of center on the left, can be very close. And we're not in the same place. We don't see everything eye to eye. But we're both moving towards the center. The opposite is true. You can be towards the center. You can be in the middle. And your arrow can be pointing away from Jesus. And you can be way farther out and your arrow can be pointing towards Jesus. And it looks like you're further away, but your arrow is pointing towards Jesus. Now, I know that this raises questions. I wish we had time for that. Um, You can talk to me afterwards. You can email me. I'd be happy to engage with you. But I just want to say that right now, Jesus is conspiring. He's conspiring in you and in me and in your church. He's conspiring in your workplace. He's conspiring in your town to create a whole new kind of community, a human community, say common unity, a whole new kind of community where agreement and uniformity do not consist of what makes us unified together, that allows us to see each other, to appreciate one another, to be in relationship with one another. And God is in the process of 
restoring us to himself and then becoming our peace. So it says in this passage that Jesus is our peace. And it's another brilliant move, of course, on Jesus' part, because what's the second kind of foundation that creates polarity? If the first one is I'm putting my identity in something other than Jesus so that I'm feeling superior to other people, the second foundation in polarity is fear, right? That you're a threat to me, that you're threatening something that I value that's necessary. You're a part of the problem. You're contributing to the problem. You make me afraid. And Jesus comes along in this passage, Paul reminds us, he's doling out peace. And in fact, we don't even have to come up with the peace. We just need to be willing to point our arrow towards him in our posture, in our openness, and that he will become our peace. And what happens when he becomes our peace, when he becomes our belonging, when he becomes our worth? What happens? Fear begins to dispel. And now, I may not agree with you, but I can move towards you. Because you're not the enemy. I may not agree with you. Jesus has come to eradicate fear and replace it with peace. Amen. And it's for the taking. As I think about this with my brother-in-law, the question is, where is the arrow pointing? Where is your arrow pointing? Towards Jesus? Towards peace? Towards love? Away from Jesus. Away from peace. Away from love. When I showed up in New England... Where was my arrow pointing? It it, it was pointing towards my bounded set circle, my self-righteous beliefs. In fact, I got a marker out, and I just started making the circle lines thicker. There we go. I'll show them. And I put in the center my political beliefs, my theological beliefs. I put it all there in the center. And I was in, and it felt great. (laughs) And in the process, Jesus, as he does, says to me, I want to invite you to to shift yourself. Would you allow me, partner with me, to shift? Would you shift from judgment to curiosity? Can you do that? Clearly, there's times when, in disagreements, we actually stay away from the people that we disagree with if they can't be trusted Jesus is not saying, if you put him at the center, you have to go get hurt again. He's not saying that. What he is saying is, would you have a posture of openness? Would you have an attitude? Would you have a willingness to put me at the center? Would you have a willingness to move from judgment to curiosity? And this is what happened. So my... um, My sense of what the Holy Spirit was saying to me is, would you shift yourself from saying, how could he believe like this, right? We do this. How can they believe like this? To why would he believe this way? What's going on? And I heard the Holy Spirit say, just go ask him why. Stop asking how. So I did. And one night um, I said, "Can can we talk? And we ended up talking for three hours. And I said, I got to be honest, man. When I got here, I saw the truck. I was struggling. I'm still struggling. And can you help me understand 
how it is that you find yourself in this place. And three hours later, we didn't convince each other. We didn't agree. I still, I told him, I said, I have to tell you, those stickers on your truck are making it almost impossible for me to share Jesus in Canada. I'm just telling you. And then ironically, because this is how this stuff works, he said, that's interesting because here where I live, I've had opportunities to share Jesus with people who said, I wouldn't have listened to you, but I saw your stickers. (laughs) Right? There are things that are above my pay grade that I cannot figure out that I just have to trust Jesus with. And as we talked that night, we're outside, it started raining And he said to me, John, I don't agree with you. I will never agree with you on these things. I promise you. Like, okay. And I said, I will never agree with you on these things. But I think Jesus is in you, and I think you want to know him. And I said, I think Jesus is in you, and I think you want to know him. And there we stood. It started raining. It was like in a movie. We started raining. We kind of moved towards each other. We put our arms around each other in an awkward man hug. We prayed together. And we hugged it out. We're not, we're not convinced. But we both put Jesus at the center, and now the world is a little bit less divided than it was. And now my heart is a little bit less polarized than it was. And same for him. And same for you. If you choose to put Jesus at the center, this is what he wants to do. This is what your town needs you to do. This is what your province and our world and online needs us to do. This is our moment. This is our moment to show the world what unity could look like in disagreement, in, when we don't conform, when we're traveling towards putting Jesus at the center, even though we're starting from different places. So I want to transition to communion, and I'm five minutes behind, and she's coming for the crook. But I want to give you a few spiritual practices to, come on out. I want to give you a few spiritual practices to consider as we head into communion, okay? The first spiritual practice is, I invite you, if you want Jesus to transform you in polarization, I invite you to shift your question from how could they to why do they? And then I invite you to go ask them, hey, can we talk? I have a question. Don't try to convince them. Don't try to argue. Don't try to make them like you. Be open. Be non-judgy. And just ask them, can I listen? There's always a backstory. There's always a why. Try to understand it. The second is, would you consider taking a break from technology for 24 hours once a week? Would you do this, please? It is shifting our perspectives. It's telling us the world is working in a certain way. And sometimes to make Jesus bigger, you have to make social media smaller. Can we do that? Can we make it a little bit smaller? We are being played. We are being radicalized by algorithms. We are marionette puppets right now. And we have to know this. 
We have to know that we are being played by greater powers and it is dividing us. And if I can take a break and tell my soul what's true for one day a week, maybe I'll be less polarized. The third is, would you consider every day waking up and making Jesus the center before you, you turn on your device? Could you wait an hour after you wake up to pick up your phone? Because we're all picking it up right away. Would you wait an hour and would you do whatever it is that you need to do to put Jesus at the center? Meditate on scripture, prayer, journaling, listen to a, a, a sermon. But before you turn on the news and before you turn on social media, would you give yourself an hour and just put Jesus at the center? And then lastly, would you consider how you are similar to the person that you disagree with. The bounded set mentality says we're so different. We're so radically different. And the centered set mentality says, actually we're similar, we're just at very different places on the journey. Very different starting points. Would you consider that you are more similar and then would you pray God's abundant blessing? Not that he would change them, but that he would bless them. Would you pray God's abundant blessing on them? every day and see what happens in you. We're gonna shift into a time of communion, common union before we go. And if you're at home, we invite you to go right now and maybe get some communion elements, crackers, wine, juice, water, doesn't matter. This is a unique Christian celebration. We've been doing this for 2000 years. And this has been our symbolic way of saying, Jesus is Lord, we put him at the center. And in, and in communion, common union, this is something that we have to submit to. You can't take communion, like I can take a cracker. You can only receive it, because Jesus is the one who's offering it, and we can only come up and like receive it. You can't take communion, you can only receive it from a humble posture of need. I need I'm in need. So take your hands and just cup them like this. And feel what this feels like. This is a posture of need. It's a humbling posture. Put them together like you're begging on the street. And you come up to Jesus and you're like, I need. And, and the love of Jesus comes not in, a, not in a cup like this. The love of Jesus comes in a cross. It's a cruciform love. It's a cross-shaped love. And this love has died for you. And this love has broken itself for you. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. And this, this uh, symbol comes with an invitation. And it comes with a warning. And in the Corinthians passage, it came with a warning because they were polarized. And Paul was saying, you can't take this if you have a polarized heart. You can't do it. And so today as we receive communion, if you have a polarized heart, if you have flickers of polarization in your heart, I invite you to receive this as a prayer. The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Would you open the top with me as we take the body of Christ the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, 
And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat and receive together. Same with the, the blood of Christ shed for you. If you can get it open, which is no easy task. I don't even know if I can. Okay. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the cruciform love of Jesus until he comes. Amen? Let's drink.